0: Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theatre because this is Oscar night.
1: And keep your eyes on the losers tonight
0: as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting.
2: The only thing left to say is, meet the champion.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am one of your hosts, Danny Vincent, and I did not come on here with a joke like I normally do, so instead I would be like, Oi, who else is in this room here with me in a tangerine?
0: Permission to come aboard, sir. (laughs) I'm Sarah. Lieutenant Sarah. I could
1: have said (laughs) something about strawberries.
3: (laughs) I was so confused.
1: Uh, I was doing my Michael Caine impression.
3: Who who are you? (laughs) I am your strawberry thief, Caleb.
1: We are finally at a new Oscars. We are at the 27th Academy Awards, the Oscars celebrating the best films of 1954. And at the 27th Academy Awards, with 12 nominations, was On the Waterfront. It won eight of these nominations. Best Picture, Best Director for Eli Kazan, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, Best Supporting Actress for Eva Marie Saint, Best Story and Screenplay, Best Art Direction Black and White, Best Costume Design Black and White, and Best Film Editing. Then, with seven nominations, was The Country Girl, which won two. It controversially won Best Actress for Grace Kelly. And it also won Best Screenplay, which is the Adapted Award. But there was one of her films with seven nominations and no wins. Edward Dimitrix The k Sarah, what was yeah. it nominated for?
0: Um, so it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to uh, On the Waterfront. Best Actor in a Leading Role for Humphrey Bogart, who lost to Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront. Um, Humphrey Bogart was, of course, also nominated for Casablanca and won for The African Queen in 1952. Um, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Tom Tully, who lost to Edmund O'Brien for The Barefoot Contessa. Uh, Best Story and Screenplay, which, or no, Best Screenplay, which we would call Adapted Screenplay, for Stanley Roberts, who lost to George Seaton for The Country Girl. Best Sound Recording for John P. Livedary, who lost to Leslie Carey for The Glenn Miller Story. Livedary was nominated 13 more times and won three in competition awards and three technical achievement awards. Uh, best Film Editing for William Lyon and Henry Batista. Um, and they lost to Gene Milford for On the Waterfront. Uh, Lyon was nominated three more times and won two. And Best scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture for Max Steiner, who lost to Dimitri Taminken for The High and the Mighty, um, and Steiner was nominated 20 more times and won
1: three. Uh, should I give my Oscar facts, or do you want to go right into historical context, Mr. Caleb?
3: Uh, why don't you give your Oscar facts first?
1: All right. Well, uh, On the Waterfront, as we said, had 12 nominations and eight wins. Eight wins meant that it tied the current record for most wins, We've Gone with the Wind and From Here to Eternity. It is the third film to receive five acting nominations, but the first to receive three within the best act supporting actor category. And as Sarah said, this was considered a rematch between Marlon Brando and Humphrey Bogart because Humphrey Bogart won for African Queen the same year Marlon Brando was up for a streetcar named Desire, which is, of course, considered like, you know, it's considered a great film. I've never seen it. But yeah. Uh to me, and the uh the Oscar. Page does say this, but I agree with it. The bigger ups, the biggest upset of the night, because Brandon's um, win was considered an upset, actually. Uh, Bing Crosby was predicted to win for the country girl, but controversially, Grace Kelly won for the country girl, which beat Judy Garland's grand comeback in A Star Is Born. Judy Garland was not the ceremony because she had just given birth to her third child, so cameramen were in her home so she could give an acceptance speech, like, you know, over the, the news, and uh, of, course, of course, she didn't win, so it just kind of left, it was awkward. I will say, I was a little bummed that uh, King, you didn't win anything, because I would much prefer to be talking about Star Sport right now, <laughs> because that would have been what we talk about otherwise, because it did not win any awards either. Uh, but that said, the other big thing, which is an actual um, big deal, bigger than any snubs or anything at all, is that Dorfree Dandridge was the first African-American actress to receive a nomination for best actress in a leading role.
3: So this is a perfect place to pick up on uh, kind of what we were talking about in the late forties with the red scare, because while we covered most of what happened on our crossfire episode with the entertainment industry, the red scare continued into the fifties and um, uh, Joseph McCarthy continued his campaign. Looking into other parts of American life, other institutions, and 1953 saw him uh, begin his uh, what would lead to his downfall, which was the um, looking into the U.S. military. Um, he was already losing some popularity by this point uh, within the Republican Party and within his constituents, and going against the military, which, unlike the film industry, closed ranks around the accused for the most part, um, basically meant that he quickly lost favor. This uh, most famously happened when um, he was going after a young army lawyer who had been part of a progressive lawyer uh, association, um, to which an army representative said, let us not assassinate this lad any further, Senator. You've done enough. Have you no decency, sir? At long last, have you no sense of decency? This, along with Edward R. Murrow's uh, coverage of him, led to a recall attempt and then eventually censure. And um, while he did not, the recall was not successful, he did spend the last few years of his uh, senatorial career and life basically as a pariah. Uh, And then he would die in the late 50s from. Uh, several health conditions, most of which probably came down to the stress and alcoholism that became worse in his um, in his late, uh, well, last couple years of his life. Uh, however, McCarthy died, but anti-communism did not. Uh, the Hollywood tin would not uh, return to work for quite some time, and it, people were still very against communists. I'd say even till today, it's pretty taboo in most of America to be openly um, communist. Although I would imagine all of us probably have friends who, if not communists, uh, officially definitely lean that way.
1: Now guys, do you know, do you guys remember that earlier this year, or do you guys not keep up with this, that it was announced that they're going to make an Oscar bait movie about Justice McCarthy?
3: Yeah. <laughs> do you
1: remember who's playing him? I have it yeah. open. I wonder if you guys can remember who? Which character like actor is going to try to win an probably, Oscar?
0: Oh, uh, see, I was thinking it was going to be somebody like Chris Evans because he's very like. No, this is know, a both sides. I'll say this:
1: I would say the most famous person in this cast is Amelia Clark, but obviously she's not playing Joseph McCarthy. Um, but she this could. is someone who's been nominated for an Oscar before, but I don't think ever for lead. So, Steve the Farrell. character actor that I know, Sarah definitely knows, and I know, of course, Caleb. You would know him too, but I know what Sarah knows him from. And if I give it's, the hint, wait, is she'll it, know him is easily.
0: It, is it Steve Carell or is it somebody else?
1: No, should I should I reveal it to you, or should I have Caleb yeah. Yeah. give me Go a for hint? It.
0: Give me a hint.
2: Give me a hint.
1: Well, can I give you the hint that I'm pretty sure will reveal it? Yeah. You might recognize him, Sarah, from your local IHOP. <laughs> wait. Wait. Caleb, do you know what that is then? Like my?
2: No. Wait, like my no specific clue. The Man so, of Steel Eye Hop?
1: Yeah, The Man of Steel I Hop.
0: I don't know.
3: Wait, Michael Shannon? Yeah,
1: Michael Shannon. Oh, character actor Michael Shannon. Oh.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's Michael Shannon. He'll probably do fine in an extremely boring movie, but there are many better <laughs> actors they could have picked.
1: It also has Dane DeHaan in it. Well, it's from somewhere I, in I'm middle, I'm always uh, for <laughs> talk about Hine.
0: fading into obscurity.
3: Listen, uh, <laughs> A Cure for Wellness was a movie
1: Wait, you're telling me the guy who started in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 A Cure for Wellness and Valyrian City of a Thousand Planets just suddenly disappeared from being in big budget movies How did that happen? Isn't that the question of the day? <laughs> it's so hard, it's so when, hard when, are,
3: when are we going to get Dane DeHaan and Jamie Foxx to make a reunion film? <laughs>
1: I was so mad he wasn't in Spider-Man No Way Home. We should have had him and Willem Dafoe meet and have there just be confusion at that. (laughs) Uh, You're not
3: Chris Cooper.
1: No, but uh, this this might be... Well, I don't know. I was going to say, it's it's being made by this director. It will be his first English-language film. Uh, But the Variety article has this editorializing of it. Uh, was nominated for the Golden Line in 2019 for The Painted Bird, a black and white drama about a young boy through, sitting, living through World War II. It was acclaimed for its artistry, but is also considered the textbook definition of a tough set. And it does not link to the review at all. It's just treated as fact <laughs> in the article that it's,
0: no. it's a tough I, sit. I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I re- you really missed out on the opportunity to say friend of the show, star of Pottersville. Oh, like yeah. Shannon.
1: yeah oh, true. You know, Pottersville. One
3: of our best moments, honestly.
1: Have any of you guys ever played a hollywood it's like one of the Wordle ripoff games? Pottersville is very good for it because it's, like, it's got so many big actors in it that <laughs> so you can connect it pretty much anywhere. <laughs> it's like, a, for the listeners, they don't know, it's like a degrees of Kevin Bacon game where you have to connect two actors. And uh, Pottersville is a good way to do it. Nice little movie with a lot of options. Anyway, uh, did you have other historic contests about uh, Justin McCarthy or this movie?
3: I, I mean, I went, I went to his death, so I kind of ran. Well, I didn't know more about, one. like,
1: say, the Navy or something, you know? Or not. No, no.
3: Um, I mean, obviously, the Navy was part of the military that he would, uh, that he kind of failed to take down. But um, no, other than just to say, hey, uh, checking back in with our favorite rat, Edward Dimitrik, he named names, and he got to have a career. Yeah. And this is this is what we get because of it. I'll let us decide if it was worth it.
0: I bet McCarthy would be really popular on Truth Social. (laughs) There was a big post today. I don't know if you guys saw it. About Uh, about recalling the election.
1: (laughs) I'm so Oh! Actually, sorry. Can I give like weird context that uh has to do with a joke I made that I did not understand? Is that Michael Caine? Is only Michael Caine because of this movie? Like
0: I thought, that's why you made that joke. <laughs> no, I didn't
1: know that. I was just made, I thought, I honestly didn't know Michael Caine was a. Uh, I didn't know Michael Caine wasn't his actual name. Now I'm reading what his birth name is, and my mind is blown by it. Do you know what Michael Caine's birth name is, Caleb? Sarah, I do not. It's I know Maurice. that it's
0: in the it's in the background in Muppet Christmas Carol.
1: It's Maurice Micklewhite. Yeah. Now, more importantly, do you know what his initial uh surname was in acting until he changed to cane? Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: think I did, I think I knew that too.
1: It's Michael Scott. Oh, and I then he was that. told someone already took it, so he went with Kane because he was a Humphrey Bogart fan. So.
3: Mm. That's a Michael Kane, best of those three options.
1: Yeah. Well, his joke was He also picked it because at the theater that he was at when he was talking to his agent, uh, he saw that the K-Mutiny was playing at the time. He's often joked in interviews that if had he looked the other way, he would have ended up being called Michael 101 Dalmatians.
2: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So the K-Mutiny.
1: Joke. The K-Mutiny. What do we think of the K-Mutiny? Now, normally I go first here. However, Caleb has said he has a very dry take on the film. Ergo, he's going to have a dry take on the film. He's going to go first, because I think my take might be kind of hot. I think Sarah's is probably the hottest take, considering of when she texted it when I presumed she was watching the film. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I will, like, Listen. let's go with Caleb's first.
3: Imagine, imagine a few good men, but the you can't handle the truth uh speech is delivered by the defense um or in that case it would be prosecution but in this movie it will be the defense this is a this is an okay naval movie that has a really boring main character not humphrey bogart but the actual main character um i i don't remember the actor's name but uh,
4: <laughs> oh he has he is has it the one with the story. girlfriend
0: yeah yeah yeah
3: He's robert sad. francis
0: um, the, is the actor but he he has quite a story <laughs> We'll
3: talk about. Well, he doesn't in the movie. We'll put it that way. Um, But I, uh, this movie uses really this movie uses montages in a really interesting way to pass the time. I feel like once you get to the mutiny and then court martial case at the end, it becomes entertaining. But there is a very weird. There's a weird little conflict at the end where it seems like the movie doesn't know if it wants to be pro the mutineers or against the mutineers. Um, and it rails against this one uh officer who's probably gonna write a book about it, which kind of feels weird because this is based off of an autobiographical book. Don't know if Dimitri had beef with the original author, but you know, and and then you also just get into the idea of like one of these people chose not to not to join in, and then he kind of threw his other officers under the bus and was Dimitri trying to get out some guilt through that character. I think there's some interesting stuff at the end here with how conflicted the movie seems to be with its message. But yeah, it's a movie that I'll forget about in a couple of weeks.
1: Okay. I guess my take isn't too hot because I mostly agree with you. I think the first 98 minutes of this is literally like one of the most boring films I've watched in the past month, which isn't saying too much because we've been watching pretty good movies recently on this and I don't really watch boring movies outside of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but but then as soon as we meet Jose Ferrer's character, I'm immediately like, oh, okay, here's an actor that actually has like some presence that I'm into besides Humphrey Bogart. But Humphrey Bogart's like obviously just very over the top at points. And it's it's not like it's a good performance. The writing is very over the top, I think. But as soon as Jose Ferrer comes in, it's like, oh, okay, I think this character is really interesting. Because one, it's really just like a movie star playing a lawyer. And I'll be honest, courtroom. Re- pretty hard to make a courtroom drama I'm not somewhat entertained by. Like, I just think it's a genre that inherently I'm going to be having some level of interest in just because of, you know, growing up watching so many procedurals with my parents, it's like, oh yeah, I know know what territory I'm in. Uh, If this is literally just executed the way it needs to be, I'm going to enjoy it as like a a comfort food type of thing. I would agree that the ending is kind of weird, but I also kind of, I like it. And not because it's mixed messaging, I like it kind of because it's like, sympathetic In a way, I wasn't expecting the movie to be in regards on how else it treats this mental illness, because it really does not treat it that sympathetically throughout. And the fact that the ending is like, no, this is PTSD, probably, even though we I don't know if we have a word for that yet. And the we just spat him out. And yeah, of course, he was bad, but you should have tried to be kind to him earlier. And maybe it would have worked out better. And I'm like, I kind of like the sympathy it gives Bogart at the end. Because it doesn't oh. feel like a pro-military thing. It feels like a pro-humanity type of thing.
0: Well, it's uh, different. So the book is different. In the book, Bogart's character is just an a-hole. I mean, that's little, like, he doesn't, and the movie, they the Navy hated the book so much because his character was so awful that they changed the ending for the movie to explain that there actually was mental illness problem.
4: Yeah,
1: and I think, well, that sounds like a, well. I don't know if it's a good change. I think it, it might be a worse change for the bulk of the movie, but I think for the courtroom drama aspect, that is a good change, if that makes sense. I have something to posit with how I would have probably enjoyed the movie more, but I will save that for more when we get in general, like, more than just general thoughts. Sarah, what is your hot take on the film?
0: Um... I thought this was literally the second best movie we watched. <laughs> I, I think it could, I easily could have won every award it was nominated for except for one.
1: Is it better than Hans Christian Andersen? Honestly, wow,
2: it's, it's like neck and neck. Honestly, though, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> Did All Hans right. Christian Andersen have I, Humphrey Bogart in it? I don't think so. No,
3: but does As The, the King movie have a ballet?
0: <laughs> I. I thought it was really engaging. Well, okay. I thought it was engaging from beginning to end except for the scenes with the girlfriend I thought were really stupid. (laughs) But I, and it's all down, it's honestly all down to one actor, two actors, but one actor who is returning from a movie that we've seen before. Not Humphrey Bogart, but he's also good. There's one actor in this movie that I think carried it on his back and he was so good in it, which is so surprising because we all made fun of him in the last movie we watched. But he was so good. So I'm, I'm, I thought this was going to be horrible. I, I was like, I don't want to watch a Navy movie. This movie was so good. And y'all are deranged if you don't think so. All right. Uh,
3: Fred, uh, Fred McMurray, who was also in Double Indemnity, baby. Uh, he was pretty, uh, he, I did like him a lot in this movie. He is probably. My favorite, uh, my favorite performance. I mean, Humphrey Bogart's, Bogart's fun, and Lee Marvin's in this in a very small role. I enjoy seeing those guys, but uh McMurray is doing a pretty, pretty solid job here with one of the more complicated characters.
1: I would say though, like all four of the top billed actors are pretty uniformly excellent in this film. Um, the other ones being the guys who play Merrick, and of course, I already said I love Jose Ferrer in this. Um, I think. All four of those actors are, and obviously we, we, like, I mean, we will talk about Bogart, but we don't need to be like, "Wow, Humphrey Bogart was good in this." Who would have thought? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the water know, is wet. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: okay, so the hot take I thought you were gonna have, Sarah, is that's like, no, Humphrey Bogart's character was right. They yeah, that's where I was thinking me.
1: you were going with it because of <laughs> how early you texted. Oh. I was like, you're not even. I, but I didn't think you were at the courtroom stuff yet, so that's why I was like, oh, I, oh, I think. I was
0: just like, this movie's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's a hot take these days. Is like,
4: one you of you our like likes the movie? The movie.
0: <laughs> I do think, honestly, though. I uh,
1: I just always, I mean, whenever I watch a movie for this podcast and I like it, I'm I just go in assuming, and you're just like, it was okay. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's always what happens.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying that Humphrey Bogart's character was right, but I do think that them changing the ending certainly helped. Yeah. The main character is this guy named Willie Keith, who just graduated from military school or something, Navy school. And
1: top gun. he goes. He graduated from Top
0: Gun. Okay, sure. Uh, it's all the same to me. Um, and he goes, he gets his assignment, and it's a minesweeper, and it's the cane, just the cane. The ship is not called the cane mutiny.
1: The and USS would be character. very bad naming, but yeah, we can just call it.
0: And he meets a bunch of colorful characters. He meets Frederick Murray's character, Kiefer. Um, he meets Merrick and he meets uh, and then he his his commanding officer is Breeze, and he doesn't get along with Debris but everybody likes Debrize. and De so is the is kind of like
1: laid reason. back.
3: Yeah, I don't know about
1: that one. <laughs> Yeah, the academy. This, to be clear to the listeners, Devries is the Oscar-nominated supporting role in this movie. None of the other actors that we're going to actually be gushing about. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> um. So everybody like the ship is just run pretty poorly. Like it's just messy. It's gross. It's dirty, and everybody is okay with it. They like Devries, and Keith is like, "This is awful, and I hate it here." But he sticks through it, and then Devries gets relieved, and they get a new commanding officer named Quig. He's played by Bogey. And um, Bogey is immediately like, we got to whip ourselves into shape. Like, you all suck. You're horrible. And people really don't like that. And he becomes increasingly unhinged. He puts them in danger. He releases a, a yellow ink thing, which I don't fully understand. Um, and well, they,
3: just,
0: they call him yellow stain, which is kind of funny.
3: I think... There's a lot of what I respect about this movie is there's a lot of shop talk, shop talk that they don't choose to explain, and like if you get it, you get it. If you don't, good luck. I I can kind of respect that. Um, I think the yellow ink thing is that that makes the boats because what they're doing is that they are escorting some smaller boats into a land invasion. I think the ink makes it easier to see those landing vessels, and then he turns around and abandons the boats are supposed to be escorting. I think that's the issue there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they're going to... So Fred McMurray Kiefer, he plants into Merrick's head that they should report him. They should... You know, there's Article 164, 184, something like that. 184, um, yeah. He plants in Merrick's head they should report him because he's not suitable to lead. And it all comes to a head when there is an investigation into who ate the strawberries um very iconic scene a scene that i actually had seen before before i saw this movie actually um and basically it's the investigation is just who ate the strawberries and it's very
1: we, it's, it's, we should let's go into depth on the strawberry scene because i yeah, feel like but, i i personally hadn't seen this scene first like right. I, I was not aware of this being an iconic scene although when it happened i was kind of like oh yeah i get now why like and we'll get into the other accolades this has got over the years, but like the strawberry, like apparently there's a line, with the strawberry scene that was like on the shortlist for greatest movie quotes of all time. So like, do we want to get into that now? The strawberry scene. Uh,
0: let me let me wrap up. Let me wrap. All up. All right, sorry, okay. sorry. So and we'll jump back
1: to strawberries. <laughs> uh,
0: so they're in a typhoon at one point, and they want to pull back, and he does not. So then Merrick um, commits a mutiny, and Keith is in on it with him. And then they get back to the mainland. They're in Pearl Harbor, but they go back to San Francisco a few times. Also, notice I haven't talked about the girlfriend at all because it's not important.
1: We do, um, I didn't want to talk about the girlfriend at some point in this podcast. But yeah. She is not But they go DePaul. back.
0: <laughs> they go on trial. Um, and when when they get there, Kiefer says that he had no idea that there was going to be a mutiny. Um, which freaks Merrick out. Um, and then they're... Important, Ferrer, importantly...
1: He tells the council beforehand that she, he did pretty much know, but then when he's on the stand, he...
0: He's flabbergasted, is what he uh, says. Uh. Um, So then Jose Ferrer, who's the lawyer, but, well, I mean, lawyer, um, he works with Merrick and then he questions Humphrey Bogart and uh, Humphrey Bogart seems to lose his mind on the stand and then uh, Merrick and Keith get acquitted. They have a party. Um... Kiefer shows up. uh, Jose Ferrer reads him to filth and explains that that, uh, Humphrey Bogart just had PTSD and he needed to be treated fairly um, instead of people prodding him. And they all leave Kiefer and he's soaking wet from champagne being thrown in his face and then... (laughs) <laughs> I, guess, I mean, so then so, it goes back to, to Keith, and he goes on a new assignment, and his commanding officer is DeVries, and that's the uh, movie.
1: Wait, wait, you forgot the best part, which is the very end of the movie, which I took a photo of, uh, which is the dedication of this film is simple to the United <laughs> States Navy.
3: I just like that. <laughs> I, think, I think with the extra context y'all gave about the book being anti- are perceived as anti-navy. The uh McMurray's character is definitely a stand-in for the original author. Yeah. <laughs> With uh like that's just I think that makes the movie more interesting. I'll let other people decide whether that stains the movie or not. Um I've not read the book, so I don't know, but
1: what I wanted to say about the movie before we actually dive more into certain plot elements, even before the Strawberry thing, is When I start, I think I watched this first of any of you guys today. Um, I started
0: watching it last night, but I didn't finish
1: it. Oh, okay. Well, I texted our group chat and I was like, this is a monumental film for the Snub Club. Uh, Technically speaking, because this is our first film not in the Academy ratio. This is a film that is shot in 1.851. And I know you guys watched like, I know a couple, I think you both watched War of the Worlds in like an aspect ratio that was not considered the official one, which is fine. Like it was what was on YouTube. Like I would have done that too. Um, but this was shot in 1.85. And although, and maybe you too, maybe I'm, maybe this will be the added nom that you guys do, but I'm not going to do it. I was very tempted just because I was really struck by in a sense that 1.851 to listeners who might not be familiar with aspect ratios is the standard television aspect ratio now. And the Academy ratio is, you know, like the classical full screen that you see from like, it's a wonderful life and older movies in general. Uh, and I'm really, I really—I was actually kind of curious to look up when this became like a thing, 1.851, like as a regular thing in movies. But I was impressed by how the film actually used its full space um, and how the characters were often spread out in a realistic way. And like the full frame was being and it made sense because, you know, this is around the time when television's coming out and it's like we want people to come to the movies and see something big. Um I don't know if any of you have anything to comment on ratios because I, I love aspect ratios. I love talking about aspect ratios. It's legit one of my favorite things. But I was really excited well, that we finally reached the point where we're out of the academy ratio.
3: Well, I'm not as, I don't pick up on uh, ratios as uh, intuitively as you do, Danny. So I could tell that something was different, especially with the exterior shots. Um, and this movie begins at an outdoor graduation. So it was very noticeable. I couldn't pinpoint what it was exactly. Um, I'd say for the most part, it's pretty well utilized. And unfortunately, I think it's best utilized in the boring Yosemite section that this movie has with the girlfriend. Um, Because when this movie is outdoors is when it uses its cinematography the best.
0: Um, Gun to my head. Gun to my head. I wouldn't be able to tell you. I would not be able to tell you a difference.
1: Well, I was thinking... uh, Oh, that's interesting. I I looked up when this started being a thing. Uh, May 1953. uh, This is uh, celebrating the films of 1954. Uh, The actual first one to really change the Academy ratio was Shane, which is a film I talk about on this podcast way too much for a movie I've never seen. Uh, But anyway, uh, I was actually thinking the interior shots with them all around a table always really used it well, because they were like spread out on a table like Look, I'm just talking about cinematography here, because I'm not no, gonna no, talk about it later. No. Like I, I just think
3: it's- I had a <laughs> I had a stupid intrusive thought that was like, you don't need to see Shane, Danny, you've seen Logan.
1: And that's exactly how I know talk- about Shane <laughs> <never seen> it. <laughs> <laughs> Um But no, it was uh w I, I won't harp on too much about it, but I was like, oh, this is a huge technical leap forward for us, because I'm willing to bet most movies from now on we'll watch will be in this ratio until we hit the 60s and we get the cinema scope. Uh, and then at that point, we'll just keep jumping around aspect ratio a bit. I love it's a cinematography thing. I thought, I thought this movie looked really good. It's kind of my point. Can, and I'm not going to talk about cinematography later. So. Maybe you guys will, and this will be a really awkward subtangent. I don't know. I don't know what you're picking. So, uh, so strawberries. We wanted to talk about strawberries. strawberries right?
3: Someone went up the hill, took all the strawberries.
1: I always think about the Veggie Tales. Though. I'm sure about that. Not the actual thing.
3: Wait, is it an actual thing? I just know the Veggie Tales thing.
1: I don't know if it's about strawberries and an actual thing, but there is something about, like the Englishman who came up the hill and came down with a village. Maybe I don't
4: know.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> veggie Tales said it better.
2: Yeah.
1: I came down. I don't on, know came down a mountain. What
2: March. you're talking about?
1: So <laughs> like, can we please just talk about the movie that I actually liked? Stop talking about Asparagus. <laughs> Stop talking about veggie tales. Let's talk about strawberries.
0: <laughs> I like the scene. I thought it was a good scene. Um again, I had seen it before, but I really couldn't tell you when I had seen it. I used to watch TCM a lot, but like like when I was like a teenager, but this is the type of movie that I would not have I would not have put on the DVR because it well.
1: This is very maybe, heavy like, flipping channels. Maybe because oh. of
0: bogey. But like,
1: this is very like heavy. The movie in general feels like something where it's like you're flipping channels. TCM, oh, there's a movie on a ship that's on. Let's see if this is a good movie to watch. My dad, is it? Maybe I'll keep watching it. It's not all right. Let's flip the channel. Like, you know, like feels very much like a, it could fade to black and go to commercial break any second. Although, granted, well, I've never watched TCM. So, does TCM have commercials? It'd be really awkward if it doesn't. They don't.
0: I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe I watched this particular scene because of Bogey. I don't know. I definitely have seen it before, but maybe I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, and maybe you know what? Maybe it's like I saw like a parody of it or something from somewhere, because this feels like a very like
2: parody, parodyable scene. Um, but it's a good scene. It's a, it's a little, it's a little tongue and cheek, but a little, a little not. I think um, they're
1: strawberries. Well, I think for people who might not be aware of the scene, um, the full context of this is, at 1am in the morning, the captain wakes up, everyone on the ship, come on in, and be like, Just the officers. Just the officers, right, right. But they're basically told to go wake up everyone due to tech to work out. But I'm getting myself. Um, come in at myself. Coming at 1am to be like, I wanted to have another serving of strawberries. And I was told we're out. And I'm going to prove now using science that we should not be out. Then he does indeed prove it with science that they should not be out of strawberries. So he orders an investigation immediately on which crew member stole the strawberries, and he wants a report by 8 a.m. in the morning. When I remember the exact time is like 1:47 a.m. is when like he sends them off to do it, and then like we cut to 8 a.m. and we just see the uh, note where it goes like. There is no evidence of anyone stealing the strawberries.
0: <laughs> it's very like, it's kind of reckless breakfast club. And <laughs> they just write a little note to him.
3: It's honestly. He goes, it's he really, like,
1: unsatisfactory. <laughs> it's, uh,
3: it's very mash to bring up uh, a show I love. Um, except, Mash, like the follow through, the punchline would be funny at the end. But this is like, no, this is the final stake in his. His paranoia, and he just keeps escalating and escalating. And then you find out that someone told him who took the strawberries, and he's just keeping this going
1: because he wants to prove to them that he's right about a key being made. Like because he—that's he, his theory is that a key was made to, um, break into the fridge, right? Fridge. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like they would never throw away a key because he put so much effort into it. And he says it was so much. That's what's really good about his acting here is that like. It's got kind of like when he says that it's got like such like the way I would describe it is like a childlike confidence in it where he completely sells that there is something wrong in this guy's head, even though you can't tell what that you immediately go like, okay, like I get why these people are making this air quotes, educated guess, because as we find out later, it's really not an educated guess, but they are right. (laughs) But it's uh, well.
0: I feel like with Humphrey Bogart because i i confess I understand um, I think he has two types of acting I think he because he's not the most handsome guy, he's not the most likable guy i mean he's he was all, by all accounts grumpy, he had a wife that was like thirty years younger than him, but they were very happy together um he just was a weird guy and To me, what what makes him such a good actor is he either he plays a part where he tries to, he's very good at convincing people. So like when he plays a detective or when he plays, you know, that type of role, he's good at convincing people. And I think in this movie, he's good at convincing himself. That's how I would describe his performance.
3: He has this moment where he's like, now we can have a little bit of fun because we have like real detective work to do. Yeah. And then he goes to bed. And it becomes this thing where. I I don't know if y'all have ever had bosses like that, but there is definitely, I've definitely had bosses who try to project like a sense of like their own feelings about something onto their employees, even though their employees are the ones who have, are doing the brunt of the work. And they just can't get it it across their heads that, no, this cannot be, you know, a good experience for the employees.
1: I think. I think what you're describing right there is a universal experience of practically every boss well, at some point. You know,
4: <laughs> you know, today?
1: Yeah.
0: I have a story like, about what my boss this. said today. <laughs> my boss today, he was like, he was complaining about, he was complaining about my coworker, and he was like, he says that he's Greek, but I asked all of my Greek friends, and he doesn't even <laughs> go to Greek Orthodox Church. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But I, I think it's really good acting from Bogart in that scene. I think I think that scene, um, it's kind of the centerpiece of the movie. It's what the plot hinges on. But it's also like, it's just really well written and really well acted.
0: Also, I do think there is someone of, a. I don't know. I thought this scene was kind of funny. Like, I think it's kind of a punchline when, well, Frederick Murray is, you know, Shitting and grin. is like, I had three strawberries. And then everybody's like, I had one. I had two. And everyone's like, and I had four. And, just like- <laughs> and,
4: <laughs> and was, I wanted more. That's why we're five. here.
3: He's <laughs> like, where did all <laughs> go? I do think there's humor there. I think there's humor throughout. This is, I wouldn't say it's a lighthearted movie, but it definitely knows how to take the inconveniences of living on a ship and make them um, Make them uh, add a little bit of levity.
0: Do you guys think that this movie was pro or neutral or anti Navy?
1: I think it's um, well,
3: the dedication, the simple dedication
0: well, at the end. Saying, there can I, only be one.
1: <laughs> well, right now, you know, to talk about a movie currently out, but also a film that's a well-documented phenomenon in the '80s, um, I think you compare this to, like Top Gun. I definitely don't think it's advertising the Navy like Top Gun does. I have heard them do. It's like, hey, look at these guys. They're not having a great time at all. And then there's like the tacked on scene at the end. like, he's got a girlfriend and he's still in the Navy. But like the actual film itself is like, this guy was in the Navy for eight long years. And look at how like how much it ruined him. And you guys just want to ruin him even more. And you're all terrible people. And it's like the film itself is very, I feel like. As anti as you can be when it's being made by a guy who was a he to being a communist. He's like, don't worry, guys. I'm very American.
0: I feel like it was that. But I feel like films that came out around this time, I would say up until like the 60s, I give a little leeway because I'm like, all right, y'all been through it. You can celebrate the army and stuff. But <laughs> I do. I think that this again, I mean, I know I keep talking about it, but the ending changing completely changes like the entire tone of the film, I feel
3: like. But then you have, I think, the original commander coming back onto the ship and um I I keep forgetting the main character's name. Was it Frank's Mitchell? Keith. Keith. Keith's. Yeah, Keith. He him like going back to that commander and showing him some respect now. Almost as like he's he understands that you can't be legalistic about following protocol because then you can weaponize it the way Bogart did I think it's I said it's complicated at the beginning and I do really think it is I don't think that's a bad thing or even necessarily a good thing because I do think it makes for a kind of sloppy story but I think sloppy stories are good I think messy stories can be interesting um, so I'm not really sure if it's pro or anti but um, I will say it definitely fits into a kind of archetype of movie where it doesn't matter what the plot actually is I know a lot of people who like like navy stuff who would like this movie solely based off of it they're on a ship and they're doing cool things. It's like how I know a lot of people- is it cool
1: things though? That's my thing. It's like they get berated just by a captain the entire time. Uh,
3: but there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on the function of the ship.
1: Yes,
3: and like I know <laughs> I know people who really like Black Hawk Down who are in the military who do not realize that Black Black Hawk Down is an anti like an Anti war movie,
1: I haven't seen it so well, especially I especially so I know some people who think American statics. Sniper is a pro war movie. What's up with that? Chris Kyle was a hero. <laughs> Sorry,
0: well, especially when they go to the other ship and it's like it looks like they're gonna do a musical number because <laughs> all the <like, laughs> guys are marching around, but it's like this triumphant music. Like,
4: this You're is like
1: the like, actual like. captain is, yeah, right? I remember that, yeah, Where was, okay, we should probably because I want to talk. I want to talk about the end date. Not the end. We already talked. I want to talk about the courtroom part. But I want to talk about the girl first. Because I do think we, we need to discuss Miss May playing herself. Um,
0: well, well, it's more complicated than that.
1: <laughs> what? Sarah, I think I just led you into a good story to tell.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know if... I, this I'm a little confused about. Let me look on her Wikipedia. But as far as I can tell, she got her name from the film.
3: Oh, yes. I was about to make a jab where I was like, this oh, movie is so died. lazy with its female character that they didn't even give her a real or like a fake name. She <laughs> no, died was,
1: in March 2021. Wow. Yeah, she
0: was the last person involved in this film to to die. Um, yeah, I was thinking that she maybe got it from the book, but she got it from the movie and she just loved the name so much. Her name was Donnelly Hickey. Um then she became Donnelly Custer.
2: And then she, well, professionally, she was May Wynn. So there you go. Hmm.
4: Wow.
2: She was so lo- she she just loved, a long life. She just loved that name so much. She just wanted to keep it.
3: The plot here is that uh, uh, I forgot his name again. Keith. Keith has to choose between his mom and and this woman.
1: Ooh, such yeah. sucks! <laughs> I really just only went I only brought her up because I thought it was funny that she took her name after the movie.
0: Yeah, um, that's kind of like what's like a. Now I'm trying to think. I keep I keep like thinking of like Kevin Spacey characters, and I'm like, oh no, I can't use him as an example. But like an actor who does that sort of thing, you know. What if
1: a uh, Michael Shannon just went by Zod in Office? <laughs>
0: That'd be all right. Um. So about the actor who plays, I don't know. I always, I always laugh about the actor who plays uh, Keith. Um, so this was his first role, and he was going to be a big star by the studio, <laughs> really. <laughs> and um, the
1: Taylor Kitsch of his time. Go on. <laughs> t- uh, I would say these. more like more
0: like the Paul Walker of his time.
1: Oh, um, all right, go he- on.
0: He died at the age of 25 in a plane crash.
3: Okay, now it got depressing. I was just going to insult him, but he died when he was my age.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I lasted longer than him. I'm sorry. Yeah. That was way too dark.
0: And you haven't even been months. in any Academy Award nominated films. Go figure.
1: Yeah. Well, he wasn't nominated, so let's not, not, <laughs> let's not give him too much credit. Uh, we
3: have a chance of beating him in number of nominations for the Academy Awards
1: I'm looking at actually the curve of the actor that um, I thought was very good in this but I don't think we're going to talk about a lot is Van Johnson who's the guy who's on trial at the end uh, first off his film right after this was Brigadoon which is a surprise because he does not look like a musical man um, I don't know if he sings in Brig- oh no yeah he's Gene Kelly's best friend in Brigadoon uh, he has
3: that best friend kind of look to him.
1: Yeah, that, that checks out. Oh, and it was Brigadoon. Okay, I, you know, I was like, it's going to take a while to we get the Cinemascope. I see that Brigadoon was shot on the Cinemascope, so <laughs> not too long, I guess. But the other thing I saw in here is that he got an Emmy nomination when, uh, what year was it? In 1976. So he was active his whole life doing a lot of good stuff, I guess, which is pretty, uh, I don't know. I think it's I think he's very good in this. I think he's unsung of this. I see that he was never Oscar nominated. Um, but again, I think he won the Emmy actually, which is uh, pretty cool.
0: I think I read that he wanted he really wanted to be in this film because he he wanted to work with Bogart and Fred McMurray and Jose Ferrer. So he got a nice juicy role out of it.
1: Yeah, I think he's good in it. He did not win the Emmy, he was nominated. But
3: um Thanks and- very much. Let me I'm trying to think of like an equivalent actor who's just like very prolific, but is not never going to be. He
1: feels very. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
3: Yeah, like it's never going to be the first person people focus on, but always turns in a good performer. Or John Bernthal. Who was that first one? Who?
1: Did Shia Wiggum? Did I mispronounce his name? I think you pronounced it right the
3: first time. I've never heard anyone say his name. So you'd recognize him if you saw him in things.
1: It's spelled S H E A and then W, and then it will probably pop up. Shea Wiggum. He's a good actor. I like him. He almost always like he pops up in movie, I'm always like, oh, great. When he sh- shows up in Fast and Furious Nine, reprising I've his never... character from the fourth movie, but now he has like a ridiculous broken nose because Vin Diesel broke his <laughs> nose in that movie. That's a good moment. Like,
3: <laughs> I've <laughs> never Wait, seen a fan in my life. Have you seen Netflix's Death Note? I think that's the last uh, movie I saw man. When no, I, uh, that. I mean, <laughs> he's the
1: he's dad in it. He's gonna be in Spider Verse 2, which is exciting, and in the new Mission Impossible. Uh, he's in Joker yeah, also. Like,
3: he legit is like in everything. Like everything. I think if he's mean, Kong, I would Skull say Island, like, actually. if you were gonna
0: say like John Firthall, I would say like Wal- Walton Goggins would be like my go-to.
1: Well, Shia Wiggum was also. Uh, I know you didn't watch it. But he's, like, I think he's, like, the third biggest role in the first season of True Detective. After, uh, oh, uh, fourth, I think, actually, because I forgot there's a woman in it. Um, which yeah. makes you sound bad, but, like... Easy. Yeah.
4: Easy <laughs> but to forget. It,
1: I, I presume, from what I've heard of that writer, the woman character probably is not well-written. Sorry, pizza fans. Uh, but, yeah, all right. Um, back to this movie. The one thing I did want to say was I... Uh, Let's talk about this courtroom stuff. I think the courtroom stuff is really well done. And we didn't really talk about it. Um, uh, I know we're running out of time. But it feels very... You said A Few Good Men. And funny enough is that this movie shows up pretty... uh, On my other show, we play a game about letterbox related films. And A Few Good Men is the first film that pops up on the related feature for this. Which checks out. Uh, And I wanted to say... um, I think A Few Good Men is way better than this. Uh, personally and oh, yeah
3: that's because a few good men is almost all courtroom drama. Well, this is like 30 minutes of it
1: well what I was gonna say is and I know Sarah would be like no because I actually like this movie but to me I think I would have liked this movie way more it kind of had like a I don't want to be like a Citizen Kane like structure but I do mean that thing where it's more about Jose Ferrer like investigating this and doing interviews and then we get the whole story in a scene of flashbacks um, to
0: like a, a double indemnity Indemnity.
1: (laughs) Sure. I mean, I think I think literally the movie as is, but cut down a bit some of the because I do think the first bit of this movie does not need to be 90 minutes long. It's so long. And you cut out all the girl stuff by doing this too. Because it's not like he's gonna tell his prosecutor, yeah, I'll see this girl at the time. I mean his you know, his defense attorney.
3: (laughs) So my mom is really overbearing.
0: (laughs) I mean Humphrey Bogart, he was like, I have a wife, I have a kid, I have a dog. (laughs)
3: It's <laughs> well, true. But- that's why you like him so much. Is because he's a good dog owner.
0: Yeah, that's, he seems like the type, honestly. Well, but, I mean, he seemed like the type.
1: I just think it just so radically shifts in genre in a good way that I wish that genre was in it throughout, even if it was just like a little bits and pieces to like string these scenes together.
3: Well, I do like I do like that change of genre at the end, just because I like the circuitous route this movie takes. Where there are a lot of montages where like the examples of him being paranoid are framed with um uh with someone writing down in a journal. It has while I don't like the diversions with the girlfriend, I like the idea of there being diversions in this movie, and then I like the genre shift at the end. I just feel like all those elements work well together. So it, it makes for a really interesting way of telling the story. I just wish that some of the individual pieces were more interesting.
1: I just, to me, it also just kind of goes down to where I think the ending is good. I think would hit harder if we knew um, Jose Ferrer's character better. Um, yeah. And well, and, hey,
3: cut out, cut out. Uh, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting his name. Main character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, but he sucks so much. Hey. He's so boring.
0: Hey, he died. So you better put some respect. Everyone died who it.
3: <laughs> no, I feel like if you just cut his character, then you can bring in anyone you want Which and you it's automatically.
0: A, you need bad. a tabula rasa. You need somebody who's just gonna be there.
1: I did not know Jose Ferrer was in the David Lynch Dune movie. That's fun.
3: Yeah, I, I just watched that. Not gonna lie. Good movie. In the sense that it is as messy as the novel is, and I love it.
1: I guess I should have assumed he was related to Miguel Ferrer, but do you know who he's the uncle of? I did not know this. Very big actor. A-lister.
2: Sock the Hedgehog. George Clooney. Well, George Clooney's related to, like, everybody. Yeah. He's related to his wife, too. Yeah. Through marriage. True <laughs>
1: marriage. Yeah, so like, that, <laughs>
3: that tends to be how it works, Danny.
1: <laughs> well, when you get married, they become your relative.
3: All this right. is weird. Okay.
1: <laughs> but anyway. Uh, we can move on to the, you know, the closing up. but I do want to say what this was nominated for at AFI, which I think is interesting, uh, which is it was nominated for 100 Years 100 Movies. Uh, Queeg was nominated for villain, which I don't think is very fair to him. Uh, and then the strawberry quote, I don't want to read the quote. I don't think it's as, as interesting for me to read Just it. Read and then it. it was nominated for courtroom drama, which is uh, kind of cool. The other thing I think that's interesting about this uh, historically, according to the Wikipedia page, is that the film and the novel influenced the drafters of the 25th Amendment because they looked at the movie as a potential crisis that could arise if a president ever faced. Any physical or mental inabilities, but disagree with the judgment uh,
3: and I think that's only been enacted once,
1: yeah, it definitely should have been enacted more uh yes,
3: it should have, but I think I forget the president, but some president went under um like went under a normal uh,
4: hey.
2: procedure
3: and then. It got handed over. It was without incident. But I think that's I like, it's been enacted.
0: Well, I'm sure it was trending on Twitter at least for the last like five or six
1: years. Yeah, really.
3: Oh, trust me, it's still trending on Truth Social.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not really. They don't want Kamala. In. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. Well, I think it's interesting that apparently lawmakers and lawyers were like concerned very specifically about an Article 184 situation. Because they think the movie made it too easy to uh, get <laughs> the president out of the way if they follow just that instruction all the way. Uh, I think that's interesting. But
2: yeah. Alright. community Are we done with it? Alright. Um, yes. oh. All right. I Sarah. was just going to say, it was featured on
0: Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul.
1: Is it Better Call Saul? Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I did see the Breaking Bad thing. I didn't see the Better Call Saul. I don't remember in Breaking Bad, but it's in Madrigal, which is an ep- season five, episode two. Stopped in season
3: three. And that uh, makes sense. The and whole... the b-
1: Better Call Saul episode is Chicanery, which is season three, episode five.
3: Makes sense. Walt's, Walt's it's also in Terminator like and boy. Star
1: Trek.
2: <laughs> alright, well, alright.
0: So the Kane Mutiny was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Humphrey Bogart. Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Tom Tully.
1: We never um, talked about him. And we yeah. shouldn't.
0: <laughs> he, DeV- yeah. he played DeVries. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay. Best Sound Recording. Best Film Editing. And Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture.
1: I can think of so many things I would pick for it to win, and it's none of these. Um, I guess I'll go... Well, I don't want to go with Humphrey Bogart. Cause I, I think... It's kind of that thing that I hate when, like, you know, someone's actually not the lead of the film, but they're more famous, so they get campaigned in lead. And I think it's bogus. And I don't think think he's good. I'm sure there are better Humphrey Bogart performances out there. I will go with, even though I was bored for a lot. No, no, you know what? I'm not gonna go about it. I'll go with uh, sound recording. Why not? It's one of those ones I go for. Like, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on here. A lot of variety of the type of sound you get. And it all comes through pretty clearly. So, sound recording.
2: Um, I just want to say, between Humphrey Bogart and crusty, rapey <laughs> Marlon Brando,
0: there's no competition. As far as I'm concerned, every year that Marlon Brando was nominated, Humphrey Bogart should have won, even if he wasn't nominated.
1: Wow, um, look at Sarah being very anti the recent news about The Godfather and uh, the activist. Look at her being very. Uh, what?
0: What recent news?
1: The Academy guys- apologized to her. Oh, I did see
0: that. <laughs> I did. Okay, but uh, speaking of The Godfather, Francis word go Um I don't
1: understand. know what that means. We'll definitely talk about him at some point in this podcast. I know he qualifies at some point.
0: Humphrey Bogart for best actor.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Sure, why not? Humphrey Bogart's good. I, yeah. I Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, film editing. It was nominated for film editing, right?
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, like I said, I like the security route this takes. I think um largely that comes down to the editing because like I said, a lot of the times what they're cutting to is interesting. So I'll go film editing, why not?
1: All right. So, what do you want it to add as an on?
3: I think this is pretty easy. Um, I do too.
1: I don't think you're going to yeah, agree okay. with me, but go on. I,
4: I agree,
3: too. <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got a lot of uh, easy picks right now, but I think they'll all be different. So anyway, May Wynn is a uh, supporting actress. Uh, no,
1: <laughs> I, I gotta take you from the chat right now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: She's not the problem. Um, Fred McMurray as supporting. I think he's, he's really good in this. And he has a very complicated character.
2: I agree. Total redemption arc. 100%. Great, great actor.
0: Also...
3: <laughs> give him, give him also, that Oscar, baby. His,
0: his wife had just died. So he was cast in this movie because he asked for a project to work on so he could be distracted. So before you disparage, just think about that.
1: I'm not being negative towards him. I just think, I think what you just said to me was like, you know, like very like current Oscar bait thing where it's like, Oh yeah, you got to give it to this person because uh, you got about to say something terrible. Never mind, I'm not going. I was gonna be like, you know what I was saying anyway. Then apologize. It's like those people who say, "Well, you got to give it to Bob Odenkirk because he like died on set." It's like, I mean, he's good. Probably better than Bob. Wait, that's not a reason. (laughs)
3: Like Bob Odenkirk did not die uh, (laughs) on the set of
1: this true social. True social. Why are you spreading fake news? He did, didn't he? Go unconscious, and uh, he onset. had a heart attack. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know. I saw a tweet. that was like, he literally died. So I thought maybe like some news that came out since then that like Ga's yeah, heart stopped and they had to restart it. Uh, but he is uh, literally a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> he, he came still back from the, the grave to finish. They used AI. Oh, <laughs> uh, we love Bob Odenkirk. Um, well, I do at least. Even though I don't watch that show. Um, my choice. Should be obvious, considering how much I've been praising how much the movie gets better when he shows up and how I think he owns the ending of the movie. I think Jose Ferrer shows up, completely adds, like, a star persona to this movie that's needed in a sympathetic nature that Humphrey Bogart, obviously, is not playing a sympathetic role, so we don't get that there. Um, We, like, I like courtroom dramas. He changes the movie's genre entirely. He owns it. Whenever he's on screen, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, keep... Keep doing your cross-examination. Yeah, ooh. So throw the thing in his face. Jose Ferrer, supporting actor. I'm sure you guys don't agree with me, but I'm sure you wouldn't mind it getting two nominations. And you guys are going to be like, yeah, but we want the other one to go to Keith.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can we give an anti-nomination?
4: We should
0: start start doing Take One Away. That would be a good game. No, okay.
1: I think we. I, I want to do that, but I want to do that when we hit the first one that gets over ten knobs, okay. which will happen eventually. All right, do you guys want to know what we're talking about
2: next
1: time? Sure.
0: I do, and if I, if it's what I think it is, then it's well, just just say what it is. Uh,
1: well, unfortunately, at the twentieth Academy Awards, it is a two part episode again. So, Sarah, I don't think it's the one you're thinking it is.
0: Is it not? So if we it's are. It's not
1: that one. We don't have a guest next time.
0: Okay. Okay, and it doesn't marlon brando <laughs>
1: uh, oh, i'm
3: excited for that one no, that I haven't be, seen it it's that a good movie
0: to be honest it's a good movie
1: there is two pretty big actors in the next movie we're going to watch though and can i have a drum roll please at the 20th academy awards with four nominations and no wins, is richard brooks blackboard jungle which has oh. two actors in it that I don't fully recognize, but the next build are Sidney Poitier and Vic Morrow. And I, of yeah. course, know Vic Morrow from Dying On Set of Twilight Zone, and I know Sidney Poitier because he's Sidney Poitier. <laughs> I know! <laughs> so, yeah. Blackboard Jungle will be the next film we watch for this.
2: Podcast. Back to School episode.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yes! I won't say what the film is yet, even though Sarah and Caleb are aware of it. The week, the, the episode after that, we will have our first guest. So get hyped for that.
3: Woo. Right. Much like all the other times we have teased a guest.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, well, who knows it's a your little, little
1: feather. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we got her! We got her.
1: <laughs> uh, Sarah's going to grip her on Marlon Brando. <laughs> Did you I, used to, really like, I used to really
0: like I used to really like Marlon Brando and then I had read about all that
2: stuff and I was like absolutely not
1: <laughs> All right, I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at blankments. You can also listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey, when we are finally talking about movies now. Like really our next few weeks are like all movies. <laughs> so it's pretty exciting to be there. Sad Pixar news today that I'm not going to say on this podcast because it will date this. So, Joe, cut out that that digression and just go on to whatever Sarah's going to say. Or Caleb, whoever's next. I'm not going to say anything.
3: Uh, hi, guys. I'm, I'm Caleb. I'm Mr. Caleb from The Real World. You can find me on the Instagrams and the YouTubes. And from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, <laughs> Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New 52, which I do with our editor, Joe. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Joe. Thanks, Joe. Um,
1: before we move on to Sarah's, can I just explain why I am so happy this moment? Is that every single time I say, Mr. Caleb, do you have historical context? And this is the first time I think I've ever heard <laughs> Caleb refer to himself
4: as Mr. Caleb. So that's why <laughs> I'm glad right now. <laughs> uh,
0: anyways, um, I'm just a woman. Miss
1: uh, <laughs> Sarah.
4: You can
0: find me. I, I can't uh, call
1: you that. That's so condescending. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you
0: can't say Miss. You have to say yeah. Miss.
1: Yeah, no, just uh, commit.
3: Mr. Sarah. Mr. Sarah, yeah, where okay. we got today. Sarah. You know, g-
0: gender's, gender's fake, anyways.
3: Mm, um, true. Correct.
0: <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y 29. Um, find me on letterbox. just my name, Sarah Kanoff. Hopefully I'll be <laughs> caught up by the time this episode comes out, because I've got something special planned for oh, Halloween. Yeah. It's coming out soon.
1: They might remember it from last year, maybe.
0: They we'll might. It's, it's a good year. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Snub Club, Instagram, Snub Club, podcast twitter i'm we'll be back on instagram
1: someday <laughs> i recently become much more active on instagram and i noticed that i, we would, have not posted I keep instagram.
3: forgetting to ask i keep forgetting that we'll talk about that after
0: so. we'll get there someday um and twitter <laughs> no, all right that's
1: it Yeah, um, we'll see you next time for the first part of whatever Oscar ceremony we're on, uh, the 28th, with the Blackboard Jungle.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.